Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. If you all would go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Um, our unofficial theme this year is a, a return to the fundamentals because of the way that COVID has shaken our culture, uh, not just outside the church, but our culture inside the church and each of us individually. Oh gosh, now I can't find my clicker. <clears throat> it's on the table. Okay. <clears throat> Ooh, sorry. Um, because of the way that COVID has shaken us, uh, a culture as individuals, um, we are, uh, we're going to focus on the basics and the, the, the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. So in Sunday school, uh, we're going through the book, I'm a Church Member, because church membership is a foundational concept of being a follower of Jesus. Uh, another foundational aspect of Christianity is disciple-making through the gospel. And so our goal this year for 2022 is 400 gospel conversations. And since there's nothing more foundational to being a Christian than the life of Jesus, we are going to, in our sermon series, we're studying the life of Jesus as told by Luke. Um, I've titled this sermon series, An Unexpected King, because Jesus' kingship is not what the Jews were looking for when he came. And Jesus' kingship is unlike any other king from history. And so this morning, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 21 to 38, and the title of this sermon is God's Son. Uh, and the main idea is that all of humanity is saved by Jesus. Uh, again, the main idea, all of humanity is saved by Jesus. Now, I have this broken down into three divisions. Uh, that's Jesus was baptized, Jesus is God's Son, and an important lineage. So I'll go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into this text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We praise you for your word that we can open and study and learn about you. We praise you that you speak to us through your word. And so this morning, as we open up your word, I pray that you will teach us that you will mold us into your will, that you will help us to surrender more to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we'll go ahead and get right into this, starting in chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, now I'm going to stop right there. I know we didn't get through very much, but I'm going to stop right there. When all the people were baptized. Now in our sermon last week, we heard John's message, that he, uh, his message that he preached uh, uh, to prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, he told the audience to show fruit of repentance, and to be baptized. He gave some specific examples of the fruit of repentance, but the general idea is that repentance should lead to uh, some obvious changes in your life. To repent means to change directions, to, to turn around or to do a U-turn. And so what does that mean in this context here, where um, John is preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near? It means that we're all born into sin. We're born chasing after sin and, and, and striving for it. And so when we see God's salvation, when we come to faith in Jesus, we repent. We turn from chasing after our sin and we turn to chasing after God's will in, in our lives. Repentance is both instantaneous and ongoing. When we come to faith in Jesus, we surrender lordship over to him and we seek his will in our lives instead of seeking our own sinful desires. But as we grow closer to God, We'll discover new areas of sinfulness in our lives that we have to surrender to Him. We need to repent from these new areas. Um, and, and after all that, or after, sorry, after that initial repentance, 
John teaches the correct response is baptism. <clears throat> I said last week, and I'll go ahead and I'll say it again. If you've not been baptized since coming to faith in Jesus, then see me and talk to me after service, and we can talk about how we can be obedient to this passage. But then we see, it says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. So if baptism comes after repenting from sin, and Jesus was sinless, then why was Jesus baptized? He didn't need to repent from sin. Or as, as, as Southern Baptists, we, we teach that baptism comes after salvation. If Jesus didn't need to be saved from sin, then why does he need to be baptized? Because he didn't need salvation. Well, we can get a, a, a better understanding of this through a slightly more detailed um, account from this if we look in Matthew chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John, John allowed him to be baptized. Jesus says, This is the way to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that doesn't immediately answer the question that we asked. Uh, instead, it gives us another question. So in order to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to look into this word, righteousness. So the root word for righteousness is right, as in correct or not wrong. Since God defines what is right and wrong, then whatever is in accordance to God's will and accordance to God's character is righteous. So it seems that for Jesus to be baptized by John was in accordance with God's will. But why? See, again, that still doesn't really answer the question for us as to why Jesus was baptized. It just kind of backs it up a little bit more. Jesus was baptized because it was according to God's will, but why was it God's will for Jesus to be baptized? Well, we look, as we look throughout the, the New Testament, we see that baptism is this public pronunciation of faith. It's our public announcement that we have surrendered to Jesus. It's like saying that you belong to him. It's how, it's how we announce to the world that we are saved by Jesus. And see, this time of year, we are, it's, uh, it's Championship Sunday in the NFL, uh, the AFC Championship game and the NFC Championship game. Uh, a lot of fans are excited about their team being in the, the championship games. Next, well, two weeks from now, we'll see the sun, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and those fans of those teams are going to be really excited to be fans of those teams. I've got a friend, um, he used to work with me, um, but he's gone to a different school now. He's a Cincinnati Bengals fan. And he posted on Facebook this morning that he's so excited to finally see the Bengals win a playoff game. But not just to win a playoff game, but to see them in the AFC championship game. He's proudly wearing that Bengals jersey this weekend. Now, how many of us would proudly display that jersey if our team was in the game this weekend? I know I was hoping my team would be playing this weekend, but we got kicked out last week, so I'm not wearing my Rogers jersey this morning. But uh, being baptized is similar. It's not the exact same thing because it's not a shirt that we can take on and put off, but it's similar. It's us saying that we belong to Jesus. We're on this team. It's us identifying with the kingdom of heaven. In, in being baptized, we are publicly identifying with the kingdom of heaven. That seems to be the reason that Jesus is being baptized here. It's his way of publicly identifying with the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 3, 2, John preached, The kingdom of heaven has come near. And now Jesus is proclaiming through baptism. He's proclaiming his allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. This also, Jesus' baptism, serves as a model for us to follow. 
Jesus was baptized to publicly proclaim his allegiance to God's kingdom. When we come to faith and join that kingdom, we do the same. We are baptized in proclamation of our allegiance in that kingdom. If we call Jesus our Lord and Savior, and we don't follow him, or sorry, and yeah, and we follow, sorry, if we call him our Lord and Savior, then we follow that with obedience. And if we're failing to be obedient in this area of our lives, then can we really call him Lord and Savior? So now we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 21. Uh, When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. We see the Holy Spirit descended on him in the physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. So now, with the addition of these two, with the Holy Spirit and with the voice from heaven, we have all three persons of the Trinity in this story. Uh, Again, our unofficial theme this year is a return to the fundamentals. Let's talk real quick about what the doctrine of the Trinity is. So the Trinity is a word that's used to describe the three-in-one nature of God. God is three-in-one. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. All three persons of the Trinity are equally God, yet distinct from one another, and only one God. See? Simple, right? No, it's not simple at all. The doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to Christianity, but it is not simple. Now, we can recognize that something is true without being able to fully understand it. For example, for centuries, scientists could not explain how the bumblebee flies. Because the bumblebee's wings are too small for its body to fly. They shouldn't be able to provide enough lift to get that big fat bumblebee body up and flying. Now, just because scientists didn't understand how it worked, that didn't mean that they said, nope, bumblebees can't fly. Well, they could see it happening. They just couldn't understand how. Now, physics has come to a point now where scientists can explain how that happens. But for centuries, they couldn't explain it. Christians find ourselves in the same position when it comes to understanding the Trinity. We, we can know that the Trinity is true, even if we don't understand how it's true. One day, when we get to heaven, we will understand it. But until then, we believe what the Bible says about it. And with that comes another critique on the doctrine of the Trinity. Some argue that we should not teach the doctrine of the Trinity because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, with that, I say, you're right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it is, it's an English word that we've chosen. I say we, I had no, no part in that, but it's an English word that's been chosen because it describes a, 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 a truth that we see taught throughout the Bible. It's an English word that represents the idea that's taught throughout the Bible. When passages like this one come along, it's important for us to, to notice and to highlight that we have all three persons of the Trinity present in one place at one time. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together at one place and one time. The Son is being baptized, the Holy Spirit's descending like a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven. Well, since the Father is speaking from heaven, let's take a look at what he says. God says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So I got a question for you. What has Jesus done so far in his life that God can say, With you I am well pleased? He hasn't even started his ministry yet. He hasn't done anything according to his mission. Jesus came to atone for our sins, and he hasn't started that work yet. 
Yet the father is well pleased with his son. There are two really important lessons in here, in, in this for us. First, to all the dads out there, well, this morning it's just, just me and my dad in here this morning, but um, there are hopefully other dads listening online. So to all the dads out there, your children deserve your love and support no matter what they've done or no matter what they haven't done, simply because they are your children. That love and that support might look different depending on the specifics of every person's circumstances and their ages, but that doesn't change the fact that our children need our love. Far too many boys and men end up with discipline and legal issues because of their broken and unhealthy relationships with their dads. Far too many daughters and women don't know how to have healthy relationships with the males in their lives because their father failed to show them what a good father figure is or how a good husband treats his wife. As men, as fathers, we have a huge responsibility to our children. It's an unpopular opinion nowadays, but the father's responsibility to their children is different from the mother's. Our children need their fathers, and they need to know that we love them no matter what they've done. Now, as important as that lesson is for us, the second lesson that we get from this passage is even more important, and it's for all of us. It's real simple. God loves you even though you don't deserve it. And no matter what you've done, or no matter what you haven't done, God loves you. You see, we cannot earn God's love because he gives it out freely. If something is given out freely, you can't earn it. You may have done some really terrible things in your life, but God still loves you. Because of that love that God has for you, he's provided a way for you to be saved from the penalty of your sin. Because, of, because God loves you so much, he made a path, to, of, uh, a path of reconciliation, even though you broke the relationship with him through your sin. God loves each of us. God loves all of us, even you. Enough that he would come here to take the punishment for our sin. He sacrificed himself on the cross so that we could be declared righteous. There's that word again, righteous. God sacrificed himself on the cross so that we could be declared according to his will and in right standing with his character. Through surrender to him and faith in Jesus, and only then we can be reconciled to God because of his atonement. Here's another level to that love, though. Here's another, another level to the love that God has for us. He loves us enough not to force us to accept him. He loves us enough not to force his love on us. We must choose to love him. We choose to place our faith in Jesus. If there was no option for rejection, then would that really be love? God loves us enough to let us choose. He loves us enough to give us free will. God loves you. He loves you even though you don't deserve it. He loves you even though you haven't earned it. God loves you. He loves you even though you rejected him, and he loves you even though you sinned against him. God loves you. He loves you enough to provide for your salvation. He loves you enough not to force that salvation on you. God loves you. With that, let's turn to our next verse, picking up in verse 23. As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and thought to be the son of Joseph. Whoa, wait a second. Thought to be the son of Joseph. Thought to be is an interesting phrase here. Luke uses this phrase because not everyone would have known about Jesus' miraculous conception. Or even if they did know about it, 
they may not have believed it. So Luke uses this phrase that Jesus was thought to be the son of Joseph. Therefore, people would simply assume that, uh, people may simply assume that Jesus is Joseph's son. Now there's a, de- a debate that goes on in the, these passages or these verses that follows. There's a pretty big debate about why this lineage is different from the lineage that's presented by Matthew. So here are a couple of arguments as to why these passages are different. So one argument says that Luke traces Jesus' lineage through Mary, while Matthew goes through Joseph. But it just takes a, a quick glimpse at both of these passages to see that both Luke and Matthew uh, trace this through Joseph and, and not Mary. The second explanation is that Matthew focuses on a royal lineage, while Luke focuses on biological descent. Both of these practices were common at the time, and neither uh, should be considered dishonest or misleading. And a third explanation is that there were um, more Leverite marriages along the way. Um, For more details on Leverite marriages, you can look in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, but that would be another way to explain these differences. But whatever the, the explanation for the differences are, there's no reason to believe that either one of them are wrong. They just use different policies in who they highlight. Both of them use these lineages to point to a theological truth. Their reason for the lineages are different is because they're, they're making a different theological point. Since Matthew's intended, intended audience seems to be Jews, Matthew's writing to Jews, then Matthew traces his lineage back and stops at Abraham, who is the father of the Jews. Luke's audience is different. Luke is writing to Theophilus. Theophilus is a Gentile. And so Luke traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam, the father of all humanity. And so uh, Matthew is highlighting, or Matthew is using his list to highlight that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and the Savior to the Israelites. But Luke traces all the way back to Adam, showing that Jesus is the Savior of all humanity. Again, Neither of them are wrong. They're just pointing to different factors that highlight that. It would be like somebody pointing at a square and saying that's a square, and somebody else pointing at the square and saying it's a rectangle. Well, they're both right because a square is a rectangle. They're both right. And so it would be silly for them to sit there and argue about that. So speaking of highlights, I'm not going to read this entire list because I will stumble through a lot of those names. Uh, I'm not going to read through this whole list. I'm just going to hit a few highlights along the way. So Verse 27 tells us that Jesus' lineage goes through Zerubbabel. Now, we read a lot about Zerubbabel when we went or when we studied the post exilic text. And if you can believe it, that's already been two years ago. It doesn't seem like it's been that long ago. It's already been two years since we went through the post exilic texts. So, I want to ask who can remember who Zerubbabel was? Don't worry, I had to go back and double-check just to make sure I remembered correctly. Uh, Zerubbabel was the the governor who came back with the first wave of Jews who returned after Cyrus decreed that the Jews could return to Jerusalem. So he's the first governor to come back with with that first wave. So he he served as the first political leader in the uh, post-exilic period in Israel. In those books, we saw Zerubbabel and Joshua were almost always named together as a pair. See, Joshua served as the high priest for that first wave of returnees. Between the two of them, Zerubbabel and Joshua represented the political and the religious leadership in the the post-exilic Jerusalem. Now, the two of them serve as as a prophecy for the coming Messiah. 
because the coming Messiah is going to fulfill both roles. He's going to combine both offices as political ruler and religious leader. Jesus fulfills this prophecy. He's both king and high priest. He serves as our high priest in heaven, interceding for us at the Father's side. He is our king reigning over the eternal kingdom. This points to the next highlight in this passage. Verse 31 tells us that Jesus' lineage goes through David. So including David in this lineage highlights that Jesus is in the royal lineage. In order for Jesus to be king, he must be in that royal lineage. He must be a descendant of David. Not only that, God made a promise to David that we know as the Davidic covenant. This can be found in 1 Chronicles 17, starting in verse 11. When your time comes to be with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant. He is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David. Jesus was crucified on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to pay for our salvation, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he was raised from the grave, and he ascended into heaven where he is interceding for us at the Father's side. But Jesus is coming back as the king. He's com- he is coming back as the perfect eternal ruler of all of heaven and all of earth. The Jews were expecting the Messiah to be an earthly king who ruled over Israel, but Jesus is the king of all the earth who will reign forever. But Luke's not done with this lineage. There are a couple more highlights we need to touch on. We see Abraham in verse 34. Jesus, like all the Jews, are from the lineage of Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant can be found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And you Sorry, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, just like the Davidic covenant, Jesus is the fulfillment of this Abrahamic covenant. Jesus is the blessing to all peoples on earth. The blessing to all peoples on earth. Because through Jesus, and only through Jesus, can we find forgiveness. The forgiveness that Jesus provides is not only available to Abraham's physical descendants, but for all who believe in Jesus. When Jesus gives us the, the great commission and tells us to go make disciples, disciples of all nations, this is carrying on this promise in the Abrahamic covenant that all peoples on earth would be blessed through you. And now we as the church pick up the great, uh, the, the great commission and make disciples of all nations, all peoples on earth. That's why our vision here at Victory is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if that wasn't enough to convince you of the all-encompassing nature of Jesus' ministry, Luke takes Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam in verse 38. Adam was the first man created, the first human created. In this way, Adam is everyone's grandpa. We're all descended from Adam. And since we're all descended from Adam, we're all family. And all of us, in one way or another, are included in this family tree. Earlier, we read where... The father told Jesus, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. But now we see that Adam is also called the son of God. 
Adam and Jesus have this in common. They don't have an earthly biological father. But the difference, the difference is huge. Adam failed to obey God while Jesus was perfectly obedient. Adam sinned and Jesus is sinless. Because of Adam, we are all born into slavery to sin. But through Jesus, we can be freed from our sin. Adam cursed us through his rebellion, but Jesus has freed us from the curse through his crucifixion. So we get to our application. And our application always comes from our definition of a disciple and our, um, our three indicators of a disciple, the knowing, being, and doing. So our first application is the know. And that's to know that God is pleased with his son. Now, I'm kind of cheating with this one here because I'm really throwing in three different no applications into this, the know that God is pleased with his son. First, Jesus is God's son and the second part of the Trinity. So even though Jesus hasn't done anything in his ministry yet, God is still pleased with him. Second, as fathers, we learn from God's example and strive to love our children as God loves Jesus. And third, God loves you, even though you don't deserve it. He loves you enough to freely offer salvation to you. Our B application is to be baptized. Jesus was baptized to identify with God's kingdom. Some people are hesitant to be baptized because they don't see a need for it. But when we recognize that baptism is the biblically modeled way that we identify with God's kingdom, and if there really were, if there really ever was anyone who didn't need to be baptized, it would be Jesus, then the hesitancy should fade. Can we really say that we belong to Jesus, that he's our Lord and Savior, and that we belong to his kingdom if we are not obedient to this ordinance. And the due application is to carry on the Great Commission. So not only is Jesus God's son and our salvation, he is the salvation that God offers to the whole world. Jesus fulfills the Davidic covenant and becomes the perfect eternal king. Jesus fulfills the Abrahamic covenant and is promised to be a blessing to all the peoples on earth. Jesus redeems all of humanity by being the perfect son where Adam failed. The whole world, or as the Abrahamic covenant states it, all the peoples on earth need to hear about salvation. But who can say it better than Jesus himself? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. We praise you that you have offered salvation to all the peoples on earth. We pray, God, that you will help us to be obedient to you, that you will help us to be obedient to the Great Commission in fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, Lord. Help us to go out and make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.